Don't you just love Jesus, eh? Sometimes it just astounds me that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords should be interested in me. You know, like, when you have the whole universe and the whole of space to look at, that he would even consider, what, what, a, what is man that he would look at us? And yet, he wants to just encourage us and lift us up. And we've got the Lord on our side. He wants the very best for you and for me. Isn't that just amazing? Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for your words. And as we spend a few moments looking at it this morning, we ask that you would speak to us through these words from your cross. Lord, these are perhaps the deepest words in all of Scripture. Born out of the pain and the anguish of you hanging on the cross. You couldn't give them much else to say. So they're just short little words. But so full of meaning. So deep. And so Lord as we come to them we recognise that. That we're just kind of scratching the surface. And so we, we are dependent on your spirit. To speak to us again today. Speak to each one of our hearts and our lives what you want to say to us from your word. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. I recently heard about a large manufacturing factory. It was set up and built just recently to produce shoes. The management invested massive amounts of money in this factory to produce the finest quality shoes that you will ever see. They had huge resources on a research department because they said we're going to build the next generation of shoes unlike anything you've ever seen before. And we're going to just corner the whole market because our shoes will just be something amazing and everybody will want to buy these shoes. One day the president of the company turned up at this state-of-the-art factory and he called to the, uh, the, the guy in charge of the factory and as he was walking around he said, this is so impressive. How many shoes have you produced? Well, none, he said. Well, how long have you been working on this? Well, two years. Two years, he said, and you've not produced a single shoe. No. But he says, we're really busy. Everybody, in fact, is asking me for extra holidays because we're kind of worn out with all our research and our design and our manufacturing and everything else. We're really, really active. People give above and beyond what's expected of them. But no shoes. No. If you were to put a cross on top of that factory and transform it into a church, how often do you think that would apply to the churches that you know? 
Lots of activity, lots of meetings and, and everything else that goes on. But no, nothing in the way of making disciples. If you were to look at churches around and say, actually, how many disciples have you made in the last two years? How often would the answer be the same as that shoe factory? Matthew 28, we know it well. As you are going, Jesus said, make disciples of all nations, baptize them. And Ephesians 4 talks about the gifts that God gives to us. So it's, that's our aim, but we also have gifts to make it possible. But when we look at it, we kind of then say, well, what, what is it that really is a disciple? What are the key traits of being a disciple? If we have to go and make disciples of all nations, what does that really mean? And I think as we look today at the third word that Jesus gave from the cross, we can see some of those key characteristics, key traits of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 19. Jesus has been nailed to the cross. And he said to them the first word, Father, forgive them. In Luke 23. And then the second word was to the prisoner next to him. Today you will be with me in paradise. And then the third word is to his mother. Let's read from John chapter 19, beginning at verse 25. So there he is, he's been stripped. The soldiers around the foot of the cross gambling for his garments. Let's not tear it, they say, let's decide by lot, let's gamble, see who's going to win the garment. And so Jesus is just hanging there now. And it says, verse 25, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary of Magdala. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Now the first trait that we see of the disciple here is one of courage. They stood near the cross. They took a risk. Jesus was there, hanging on the cross. And if you remember in the garden when they all came for Jesus, what happened to the rest of his disciples? They ran. They said, oh my goodness, like they're going to round us all up. They're going to get rid of us all. They're going to put us all in prison. And so they all ran away and hid. And they were scared. And so it took an incredible amount of courage for those women and John, the disciple whom he loved, to go and stand there at the foot of the cross. You've got the Pharisees, the leaders there, throwing insults. You've got the Roman soldiers gambling for his clothes. And they knew that if they stood there, 
that there was a chance that the Pharisees would have said, hey, you may as well get these guys as well, because they're just as bad as Jesus. They're, they're part of his gathering, they're part of his group. Do you remember what happened to Peter? You're one of them. I've seen you with Jesus. No, no, that's not me. And it was so obvious that they could have been rounded up. This is mum. Here's his two aunts. Here's Mary, Magdala. Grab them, take them. They're just as guilty. They've been hanging around with him. They're causing the same amount of unrest and, and, and insurrection in Israel. Get rid of them as well. And so they had to have courage to stand there. As I read it, I thought to myself, what would I have done? What would you have done? Would you have had the courage to go? Or would you have kind of rationalised it away and said, you know what, best not mess up the situation. Why don't we just go and pray about this? Let's get together and and, and we'll have a prayer meeting and we'll pray for Jesus on the cross, but I don't know if we, should we go? It might make matters worse. And we kind of rationalise so often things like that, don't we? I heard about a young boy, five-year-old, Alex. He went uh, swimming and he was there and he was taken up to one of those high towers at swimming. You know, the, the high diving boards or the boards, the, the platforms. And he was told to dive off five years of age. And he, and he went up there quite confidently and he marched out to the edge quite confidently and then he looked down. And I don't know if you, you've been up there on those platforms. They're like a zillion miles away from the water down there and the water looks about this deep, doesn't it? When you're up there and you think, my goodness, how am I ever going to... And panic sets in. And he stood there wavering and his dad was watching him from, from up in the, in the seats. And he stood there wavering. And finally he backed away. And in front of all his friends he climbed back down the ladder. On his way home, the father knew that he was really upset, that he backed out. And he said to his son to try and help him, he said, you know, when I was a little boy, the father said, there was a huge slide in the park near my house. And the first time I tried that slide, I climbed all the way up to the top, to the ladder. And then when I sat there, I just couldn't push myself off. I was so scared and my father had to come and rescue me from the top. But the next time I went and I sat there and I slid down. And each time after that I would go down with more enthusiasm because I overcame my fear. He said, son, Alex, do you know what I'm talking about? And Alex nodded with enthusiasm. The next week, when it came to swimming lessons again, Alex climbed back up and he stood there on the edge of the platform and he was ready to go and he looked over the edge again and he looked even deeper than before, even further than he had to go than before. And he stood there and he waved. And after a while, he walked back and he climbed back down the steps and he went over to his dad and he says, Do you know any other stories that might work? (laughs) That's what fear does to us, isn't it? In life. And you know what? 
fear, there's nothing worse than not just being afraid for ourselves, but I think it's even worse when we have fear for somebody we love. When we feel helpless and there's nothing we can do about it. When we go up there and get scared, we know that at least it's in our own hands. But when our son or our daughter or our husband or a wife or a good friend of ours is going through there and effectively in life they're standing at the top of that platform and they know they want to jump and they know they need to jump but they just can't do it. Then it's even harder for us. Because we just don't know how to help. I don't know any other stories. I don't know. I wish I could do it for you. And you've got Mary's and you've got Mary and, and John and so on standing there at the foot of the cross in agony and anguish because of their saviour hanging there. But also they must have been fearing as well. Watching someone they love so dearly going through such pain. But you know something? If we are ever to grow as disciples of Christ, we need courage. Because God will place us in situations of those diving boards. And he'll say, jump. Trust me. Jump. We sing about it all the time. Have you noticed in a lot of our songs that we sing? When the oceans roar, then I'm going to trust. And in church, it sounds really good and we can sing it and we put our arms in the air and we go, yes Lord, yes Lord. And Lord says, are you going to really? And then nearly what always happens is something will happen this coming week. And the Lord will say to you, okay then, you sang about it, you were so sincere on Sunday morning. Jump! And we go, ooh, it's a bit high. Are you really sure that's what you want me to do, Lord? Are you really, really going to catch me? And we're like that little boy looking over the edge going, that water's way too, too, uh, too shallow, it's, it's not, I'm going to drown. I'm going I'm to die when I hit the water. And we'd say the same thing to God. But disciples are those who jump. Are those who trust in God and say, you know what, maybe it doesn't make sense. But I want to grow. I want to grasp every opportunity that you have given to me. And that takes courage. You think about John. He was the only one of the disciples who could describe what it was like at the foot of the cross. Peter and all the rest could only imagine what went on in those moments. It was only John, because of his courage, that could say, you know what? This is, what, this is how Jesus looked. This is how he looked at me. These are the words he spoke to me. This is what he said. The rest it was all on hearsay and imagination afterwards. And I can imagine those other disciples saying, 
Why? Why did we not have the courage in that moment to be there? In that most intimate of moments on the cross when Jesus was hanging there. They missed it. They missed that opportunity for growth. That opportunity to display their courage. Somebody wrote it like this. They said, the easy roads are crowded and the level roads are jammed. The pleasant little rivers with the drifting fork are crammed. But off yonder where it's rocky, where you get a better view, you will find the ranks are thinning and the travellers there are few. God calls us to those places to demonstrate the real trust and courage that we have as followers of him. John and those women demonstrated their courage. But secondly, they also demonstrated their character. They stayed the course. Why was it that John was there and the others not? I think it's because John wanted to go deeper and deeper in his relationship with Christ, no matter what. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. The others ran away from him, but John remained. That's why he says it's the disciple whom he loved. Not that he didn't love the others, but that in John he saw someone who had a growth of character. Because in John, he wanted to go deeper and deeper and deeper with Christ. He wasn't satisfied with mediocrity. And so his faithfulness and his trust sustained him through. You could see in John the fruits of the Spirit coming out in his life. It's John. That's why John has the Gospel. That's why John is the one that went through these moments. Because character is built by those experiences. It's those little experiences that prepare you for those larger moments when your character and your growth is demonstrated. Philip Brooks said, Character may be manifested in great moments, but it's made up in the small ones. So often our character will grow in all those little moments along the way. When you think God is not doing anything, when you think nothing really is happening, you haven't really got a testimony that you can give to anyone else. You know what's happening in those moments? God is growing you. God is building you. God is preparing you. Every time when you sit down on your own, in your own room at home, and you open God's Word and you say, let me spend time reading His Word. Every time when you're in communication with God and nobody else notices, He's growing you and developing you. So that when you get to those big moments, you're not going to run away. You're going to have everything. You're going to be in the right place in those moments to do what God is asking you to do. And it's then that you will see how much you've grown over the years. When you look back in your own spiritual journey, you know, I'm very different today than I was last year or five years ago or 15 years ago when I started here or 30 years ago. I'm not going to go any further back than there because it's just embarrassing. But you know, but you see how God has grown and changed and deepened. My relationship with Jesus is very different today than it was. Because it's deepened and grown. I understand more. I understand myself more. 
But I've also journeyed a lot longer with him. And so it's growth. It's the same in any relationship, isn't it? When you, when you start out a relationship with someone, it's a very different thing than, than 10 years, 15 years, 25 years. It goes deeper and, and, and more intimate in many ways than when you first start out. And it's all those little moments that you spend together that you'll never remember that build your character. And those are important. I read uh, Lois Wise wrote a good housekeeping book. And in there she says this, there are six ways to learn everything you ever need to know about a man before you decide to marry him. This is for the women. Men, just close your ears, right? You can tell me if this is true or not. Number one, she says, watch him drive in heavy traffic. Number two, hey, that's no, men are not supposed to be listening to this, right? Number two, play tennis or some other sport with him. Number three, listen to him talk to his mother when he doesn't know you're listening. Number four, see how he treats those who serve him. Like waiters or anybody else when you go out for a meal and so on. Notice how he treats them. Number five, notice what he's willing to spend his money to buy. And number six, look at his friends. And it said then afterwards, if you still can't make up your mind, then look at his shoes. <laughs> a man who keeps his shoes in good repair generally tends to the rest of his life too. <laughs> now I don't know if that's true or not, but... But the thing is, all those things are small things, aren't they? And yet as I read that, I guess that's true of all humanity. If you look at people in the small things, it speaks volumes about really who they are in the larger things, doesn't it? When you see them in heavy traffic, I know a friend of mine, years ago, he was driving in heavy traffic. Someone cut him up. He stuck his fingers up at them because he was so annoyed. And he beat his horn. And the person who cut him up was another member of the church. <laughs> exactly. It's in those little moments though that your character is shown. It was an embarrassing time at the peace next Sunday, I tell you. But it's in those little moments and that's what God is saying here. Why did Jesus say to John here's your son, here's your mother because he saw in John someone whose character had been built and was continuing to be built in those little experiences that John had had in his journey with Jesus and so he could trust him in those bigger choices and those bigger moments the third thing is this, 
that God speaks to us from this passage is about the connection we have. It's strange, isn't it, that Jesus would talk, would give his mother to John, his disciple. Jesus had other brothers and sisters, James being one of them, who ended up being the head of the church in Jerusalem. So why did he not just say, Mum, you're going to be okay, because I know that my brothers and sisters are going to look after you? Why did he say, forget about the rest of the family, John, he's going to be the one that's going to look after you? Why would he do that? Well, I think for two reasons. One, because the Bible tells us that the rest of his family didn't believe him. Didn't believe his message. Do you remember when they came to try and get him away? And they said, and he said, who is my brother and my mother and my sister? Isn't it these who believe? Rather than the family that doesn't? But also I think he's saying to us and showing us the importance of the family of God. So many times in churches I think we tend to think of the family of God more like a gym membership. How many of you have ever taken out a gym membership and then never used it? Well, maybe a couple of times. You go, you go really keen, you get all the kit, don't you? You know, you get the lycra and all that, and you go, you know, so you're looking good. You're looking good in the mirror at home. And you go once or twice, and then you see all these other people that are a zillion times fitter than you are. And and when you get on the weights, you have to move it from there, all the way up to there. And you go, and then you just think, you know what, it's kind of hot here. You know what, why don't I just go for a walk and a donut? You know, Uh, and other things get in the way. If everybody who had gym membership actually turned up, there would be queues going out the door, wouldn't there? The only reason they work is because all of us pay for gym membership, tell everybody else we're members of a gym, and never go. Otherwise you would never have the, the, the six running machines would just be, there'd be queues of people going, they'd have a little ticker tape thing that you'd have to pick your number so that you could get on it. It's only because we don't ever go. And sometimes, some people treat the church a little bit like that. But you know what? I pay my dues, And so it's a take it or leave it kind of situation. But what Jesus is saying here is that, you know what? The relationships are deep. We have an incredible responsibility to one another that goes incredibly deep. You know what, mum? Here's your family. And John then took her. John, I know you've got a mother, but you've got a second one now. Treat her right. Look after her for me. And that's the kind of relationship that we are to have with one another. The Bible says it over and over and over again. That's the kind of relationship. 1 John 3. Jesus said this, This is how we know what love is. Christ Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. 
1 John 3.16 Verse 17 If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need but has no pity on him how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and truth. That's a far-reaching kind of responsibility we have towards one another. And Jesus said it over and over again in the Gospels. These are my brothers and my sisters, my mother and my father, those who do my will. By this we'll all know that you are my disciples if you demonstrate that kind of love for one another. Paul says it as the body of Christ, doesn't he? That we are all part of the same body. That we're all connected together. And that we have a responsibility to each other that goes deep. It's a responsibility to care and share and nurture and encourage each other. That's what it means to be part of his family. It's not like a gym membership that we can take it or leave it. So that when one part of the body is suffering, it all suffers. And Jesus is reminding us there on the cross of the depth of that connection that we have with each other. And the responsibility we have to each other. And lastly, it leads into the commitment I love that last bit of the verse, verse 27. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. What a commitment. John didn't stand there and go, um, yeah, uh, I kind of had plans, Jesus. It's kind of a bit inconvenient because like, the house is full, to be honest. And, and we haven't really got an annex on the house with a separate kitchen. So, uh, not quite sure how it's going to work. And he didn't say, well, I kind of was going to go touring. I, I thought about um, a little bit of a, a trip around Europe after this. And, uh, you know, preaching and teaching and all that kind of stuff. And actually having your mum, well, that's, that's kind of tricky. Or, well... I kind of budget rather carefully, Lord, and um, to be honest, uh, we don't really have enough for my family and an extra person. Because, you know, she doesn't have, a, I mean, you were kind of poor, Jesus, and she didn't really have a lot to contribute. So, and, and Lord, well, what about our own family anyway? Surely it's their responsibility. And maybe if I draw up a contract or something and we can sign and so they can pay a little bit of money into my account, then I guess maybe. He didn't do any of that, did he? He just said, okay. Lord, you want that to happen? I'll do it. And what he does is is he put God first. No matter the inconvenience to himself. John had walked with, had watched, had learned from. He was a true disciple of Jesus. And that's what it means to be a disciple. The disciples in Jesus' day were people who were willing to leave everything and go and shadow someone else. 
They would go and they would just wander where Jesus wandered, watch what he did, listen to what he said, and learn kind of by just being in the presence of. That's what it meant to be a disciple. Disciples of John would have done the same thing. They said, you know what, I'm going to just go follow this guy because he's got something interesting to say. I don't know about you, I love Forrest Gump. You like Forrest Gump? You know the bit where he's running? Uh, it's just, I just decided to go running. And then I ran across the county and I just carried on going. Right? And he gets to the ocean and what does he do? He decides he better run back the other way. So he starts running. What happens? He gets a following of runners, doesn't he? And they're all waiting for him to say something really deep in his running. That's what it means to be a disciple. One of those people that just run on behind. And then he stops, doesn't he? And he says, I think I'm going to go home now. And then he just walks off. But a disciple is one that, that just follows like that, that just is with and goes alongside. And that's what John was. That was his commitment. He said, I'm going to put my life on hold and I'm going to follow you, Jesus, wherever you want me to go. That's what Jesus said in Luke 14, 27, when he said, you know what, you need to take up your cross and follow. You need to put God first. No matter the inconvenience, no matter your own plans and your own desires and your own dreams, and everything else, you say, God, you know what? Whatever it takes, you're going to be number one. And I'm not going to turn back from that. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, whenever you want me to climb up to the top of one of those platforms and look over the edge and you say, jump, I'm going to jump. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. To have that kind of commitment. And we all need to do that. I've told you before, in my Bible, at the back, in the pocket, there is a little piece of paper where I wrote down, Lord, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to be, that's it. And I signed it. And I said, Lord, you're going to be number one in my life, no matter what. Wherever you want me to go, that was Trinity, right now. Whatever you want me to do, whatever you want, however inconvenient it might be for me personally, or convenient, doesn't matter. It's the Lord. And that's what he asks of each one of us. And here, at this word from the cross, he asked that of John. Because he knew that John, above all the other disciples, had put Jesus first. What is a disciple? It's a person of courage, a person of character. A person who understands the connection they have with one another. And a person of commitment to Jesus Christ. That's what we see at the foot of the cross. In those women, 
and in John. And that's what Christ wants to see in you and in me. Lent is a time for reflection. Those four characteristics, courage, character, connection and commitment, need to be growing in us. So as we finish, let me ask you these things. Think about courage. What have you done recently for the Lord where you were shaking in your boots but the Spirit of God enabled you to do it? Think about character. How are you taking care of those little moments with God? So that when those large opportunities come, you're going to be ready. Because it's on a foundation of lots and lots of little moments. How is God building your character? Look at connection. How would you characterise your closeness of your relationship with the rest of God's family here at Trinity? Or wherever he's placed you? If he's placed you in this church, you are here and you have a responsibility to all the people around you today. That's what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. How is your closeness in your relationship with the people here? Where God has placed you with that responsibility. And commitment If others were to look at you, and they do, would they know that God, not church, but God, is number one in your life? As you go through this week, think about courage, character, connection and commitment. Because there are times where Jesus will want to say to you, David, look after this. David, go do that. David, go say that. David, do this for me. And you and I need to be ready, like John, do, go, be, say whatever he wants us to do Jesus chose John because those key characteristics were evident in his life are they evident in yours and in mine let us pray Lord, you call us to be a disciple of Jesus. Not just a follower, not just saved, but disciples. And disciples are people of courage, are people of character, of connection, and of commitment. Lord, help us to grow in all those areas. And to continually grow 
in our life and our journey with you. We thank you for the examples of Mary, or the Marys that were there, of John. Those that demonstrated what it truly means to be a disciple. Who didn't flee, who didn't worry about personal risk, who didn't have their own agendas, but just wanted to follow you and be near to you in those most intimate moments at the foot of the cross. We offer ourselves to you today, Lord. May we be disciples of you, full of courage, full of character of your spirit, the fruits and the gifts of your spirit evident within us, full of a love and affection, a servant attitude towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. And full too of our commitment to serve and follow you, whatever that means. We thank you that you have provided your spirit to enable us to grow in all those areas. Lord, keep growing in us, we pray. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.